doing and what you're going to do, Lord, in our lives, God. Help us, God. Each hurt, each life, each heart, each soul, God. We love you so much, God. We just thank you for you. Just thank you, Lord, for everything you've done, Lord. Everything you're going to do today, Lord. Bless today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, those going to Sunday school class. You make your way down there. And, um, do some adult Sunday school up here. Good to be in the Lord's house. Glad you're here. Appreciate each and every person. God is truly, truly good. Again, I'm very blessed and honored to have guests in the house today. Amen. I'm going to read one verse of scripture today, and then um, James and Mike, we got one verse that's kind of a famous verse that a lot of us know. Um, it's on the Bible. I do have it on the board. It's on the screen here. But, but the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Lord, bless us, help us, help bring us to shame today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, man. See, um, last week I talked about godly convictions. If uh, you didn't, wasn't here, you didn't see the live stream, you can go back and catch that. Um, but um, I spoke about how in this time that we're living in right now, there is an antichrist spirit that is trying to crush the spirit of humanity. It's trying to distort our affections. It's trying to alter the true God-given identity that God has given us. Uh, it's an antichrist spirit. And let me explain what that Antichrist spirit is. Basically, just simply is, is, is what the, the name says. It's everything anti to what Christ is all about. And everything that says they are Christ is not necessarily Christ. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it isn't. If we're not careful, that Antichrist spirit will attack our lives, our church's lives, and it will try to also cause us, cause our spirit to be crushed, and cause our affections to be messed up, and alter our identities. And we can see this has happened, that, um, you know, this is adult Sunday school, so most of us are older, and we've been through a little bit of life, and you're like me, if you, whether you're near the church or not, you've seen a church world change from the time that um, you were a child to where we are now. You've seen a church world change. Things are so different than it used to be. And, and part of that is that we are living in this end time and it's trying to distort the church and basically make the church look just like everybody else that's not a part of the church. And that's that Antichrist spirit. And so um, I want to help us. I'm going to take some time here to help us navigate through the end time. I believe that we're living in the last days that Jesus is coming back to us. Uh, I believe that. And soon could be any moment to five to ten years. Again, we're older. 
we, we've seen that time goes by so fast, honestly. Uh, how, how we're, this is the last day of February, or January, tomorrow's February. We're gonna be looking at this, will be Christmas, right? Ain't that how it works? It goes by so fast. Um, my boss said this the other day, and it seemed like it's true. The, uh, uh, the days are long, but the months become short. And we look up and time gets by so quick. And I want to help our church, and anybody may be listening and tuning into this. We're not live today. It's, we're reading on often on the YouTube later. But uh, anybody that may see this or hear this or those that's here, we need to get godly convictions in our life. Godly convictions are so, so important. What is a conviction? That's the first thing I, I want us to understand. A conviction is a firmly held belief that an individual is certain about. It's, I have a conviction about that. That's, uh, it's, it's a way of life. It governs our life. A conviction governs what we do. Government means control. You know, it controls how we do things in life. And when we have a, uh, a conviction, it, it governs what we do. It's like, uh, you may, this may sound simple, but in the mornings when I get up, I have a conviction. I'm going to brush my teeth, all right? And I hope everybody has that conviction. It's not necessarily a godly conviction, but it's conviction, you know. I'm going to uh, make sure I do certain things. It's like part of what governs our life. i got to have my cup of coffee. Anybody else like that? You want me to have my cup of coffee, right? That's how a lot of people are. If I don't have my coffee, you don't want to be around me. It's not that bad, but that's how some people, some people are, you know. But it's something that it controls the life. And, and I believe this is why we have so many people struggling in church to stay faithful to God, faithful to the things of God. They have convictions, but they're not convictions that's godly convictions. Uh, people are not convinced, and that's what conviction really means. It's, it's you're convinced that something is so necessary, you need it in your life. And this is what we need godly convictions like. People are not convinced that living for God, that this living for God thing is the most important thing in the life. Everything that I do in my life revolves around God. I don't plan, um, I plan my life around God. I don't just feed him in somewhere in my life. And I know many of you do that, and a lot of people don't do that. And it's important that we do. People seem to be governed more by their feelings and not by the word of God. Governed by how I feel about something. Well, if I always went by feelings, uh, those of us who work, we, we wouldn't go to work. Right? Uh, you wake up, you don't feel good. Sister Michelle might not go to work because I don't feel like it. But then she realized, well, we're going to eat this week. Got bills I need to pay. I got things that's necessary. So I have that that governor that says, okay, I got to go to work because I got to take care of things. Last week I talked about how the book of Daniel, uh, 1 and 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. And he wouldn't also defile himself with the wine that the king wanted to drink. But Daniel, the king asked him to do something that went against his convictions. He was uh, he was a Hebrew at heart, and uh, there were certain things they didn't eat. There were certain things they didn't drink. So they said, "Look, we want you to eat this and drink this." And Daniel's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm 
I'm purposed. I made up my mind. I'm convinced that I'm not want. Even if it takes me dying for this, I won't do that. I'm not going to go back through that whole story, but Daniel had purpose in his heart. And Daniel lived under a, a dictatorship democracy where basically it's like, you don't do it our way, you're going to die. Thankful that we don't live in that right now. I hope we don't get to that one of these days. Hope we don't get to that uh, that type of control in the United States. But uh, you know, but Daniel, he purposed in his heart. Look, I don't care what you've told me to eat. I have a conviction. I'm, I can't eat that. He purposed in his heart as he was told that to bow down to the idol. But he said, "No, I'm not going to bow down to your idol." He was told that. Um, you know, you can't pray to any other gods, but he went ahead and prayed to his God anyway. He even got him thrown in the lion's den. But God had his hand on him. Daniel had purpose in his heart that I'm, I'm going to resist the way the Babylonians do it. I'm going to hold to the convictions of how, what the word of God established in my heart or my teaching. Daniel had a godly conviction in his life. And rehash a little bit I had last week just to keep us on the same page, those who wasn't here, or just to make sure we don't forget where we was at last week with it. But the Holman Bible Dictionary says conviction is a sense of guilt and shame that leads us to repentance. The word convict and conviction don't actually appear in our King James Version of the Bible. Maybe in some of the other versions, and and uh, I'm not a King James only. I believe it's the best translation there is, but I also know there's other translations that we can reference all together and make the Word of God uh, more understandable to us. I'd rather somebody read another version than not read the Bible at all. Yeah. Any day. And, uh, but conviction does not appear in the King James Version, but the word convince does. And its closest expression to the meaning of conviction that we have is convinced. When you're convinced that this is the best way to live. So if, if we say we have a conviction, we're saying that I'm convinced about something. I'm convinced this is it. And Daniel's thinking and his decisions that I talked about last week, his behavior, they were all governed by his convictions about who God was and is. So I want to continue today with that thought pattern about godly convictions and show us where these godly convictions come from. So I'm going to talk about the source of godly convictions. Where does godly convictions come from? And when we look at the opening verse again, um, I'll go back up here for us. It's kind of famous. We probably know it. Those are familiar with church by heart. It's thy word. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This word that he's talking about kept a conviction in him to keep him from sinning against God. And I think this is how what we run into a whole lot now is the fact that people don't have a godly conviction because the word is not in their heart. And this is where godly convictions come from, is the Word of God. And this is what I'm talking about, is this source of uh, where godly convictions come from. People don't read their Bibles no more. 
People don't go to church as much as they used to anymore. And there's a lot of a lot of sources that we can find for the word of God. See, Sister Stephanie. We already in class in there if you guys want to go that way. But David gives us some great insight to how not to sin. And this is what we're running into today. We see people that are doing things that, according to the Bible, is sin. And I know that's something that's not popular nowadays in the hour that we're living in, is to talk about sin or even name what sin is. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to start naming sin today. Uh, but uh, the Bible is where we get this source of what that is. And David said, your word, I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. What he was saying, I have created godly convictions in my heart. This word heart translated here means it's our mind, our thoughts. So he was saying, I've created uh, convictions in my mind, in my spirit that keeps me from not sinning. Doing things that sin basically in its base, uh, base definition form is going against what God has asked us not to do. That is the basics of what sin is. It's doing things that the Bible says is wrong or not doing things that the Bible says is right. That's sin in its base manner. Okay? And so this is uh, what we see David. He's giving us some great insight of how not to sin. And what he was saying, when I hid this in my heart, I've created godly convictions in my heart that keeps me from sinning. And I have found that, I will explain this today, I know you've heard me say this, what's the difference between um, a Christian and a sinner? A Christian sins just like a sinner does, okay? None of us are perfect. You're passionate, you sin, absolutely. I fight and struggle with sin every day, brother Eddie, but the, here's the difference. The difference between a sinner and a uh, um, a Christian is, we both sin, but the Bible says, John 1, 9, I'm an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, righteous, and I can go to him and ask him to forgive me of my sin, and he will forgive me of my sin. Sinners don't. They just keep sinning. Because there's not no godly conviction to govern them, to stop them from sin. But, but when I have this godly conviction that I, I look at the word of God and the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. Well, to me, that tells me there's a godly conviction. I don't lie because the Bible says not to, because also, though, we don't want to let me know if I lie, that sin brings death. And when I sin and don't ask God to forgive me, then eventually that is going to bring death. First, it brings death to our spiritual life, but eventually it'll bring death to eternal death, to where we, we're not able to live with God because we're living a sinning lifestyle. And the reason we have a world that Sinning and not thinking no big it's no big deal is because there's no godly conviction in their life. And we need that godly conviction. So we see the entire chapter of Psalms 119. This is just one verse here, Psalms 119, 11. Um, David said that word, I hid my heart. But Psalms 119, this whole chapter, the longest chapter in the Bible, I think it's 175 uh, verses, if I'm not mistaken. But you see over and over and over talking about the word of God. And verses like the words of lack of feet, like Lamp from my feet, light from my path. Quote me not exactly right. Long in line, paraphrase. Uh, great peace have they that love thy law, and by nothing shall they be uh, offended. It, it, it's just a lot of scriptures in there. But there are a lot of 
many places that we can get godly convictions. Pastors, preachers, teachers, elders in our lives, um, from psalms. But all of these that I'm talking about, they're all sourced and rooted to one place. It's from the Word of God. This is where godly convictions should come from in our lives. And when David made that statement that the word, if I hid my heart, that I might not sin against me, he was making a statement of conviction. This word has placed a conviction in my heart that I will not sin against God. David was saying, I'm placing this word in my heart. Again, that word heart means my mind, my thoughts, my feelings. I'm placing that in my heart or it will create boundaries in my life to keep me away from sin. Because that's what convictions do. It creates boundaries in our life. And let me tell you what, we all need some boundaries in our life. Right? I'll tell you a good example of what boundaries is. If you're not careful with boundaries, you'll end up getting overweight, right? You'll eat too much. That chocolate pile was so good, you go back and get another piece. And uh, I, yes, that's right. I, I was reading a, I, I was reading a, a book here a while back, and a guy named Kevin Lehman. You never heard of him. He's a great Christian psychologist, and uh, he's talking about his wife didn't have time to fix the pecan pie, so he sent to the a uh, local bakery that makes really good pecan pies. And when they got there, pumpkin pies. I'm sorry. When he got there, they had such a good deal on pumpkin pies, he couldn't buy one. He had to buy two. So he bought two, and he got home. He thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and eat one of those pieces, and he ate one. It was so good, he decided to go back and eat another one. And then he realized, my goodness, I've been to eat two pieces of pie. My wife's going to come, and she's going to fuss at me, so he ate the whole pie. <laughs> so he didn't have no boundaries of David. Yeah, I've been, I've been in marriage. You know, I'll go ahead and eat, it, eat all the evidence. Well, couldn't find out. She didn't think he'd go buy the pie, so she went behind him the same thing, trying to offer him pie. When she got home, and he probably admit, look, honey, I'm sorry, I went and got pies too. I've been eating. But the whole point I'm saying this is we have to create boundaries in our eating. We have to create boundaries in relationships. We got to create boundaries in all kinds of things in our life, and the, these boundaries are their convictions, is what they are, because we realize. If I go too far, I'm convinced that this has a consequence in my life. And this is what a conviction does. And it's the beginning of the year, and everybody's, most everybody's, oh, I gotta lose weight. I gotta do, gotta do something to cut back. And uh, they say February the 14th is that date that everybody ends up losing that. You know, after Valentine's Day, you have a good Valentine's Day, forget it. I'm gonna go back and lose that again, right? But We've got to create boundaries in our life. All right, I'm going to go to bed at a certain time. Because if not, I'm going to be really tired in the morning. I have to get up and go to work. I'm going to get up at a certain time. If I'm not, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to not be able to get everything done. So this is what convictions, you're, you're convinced that if I don't do that, there is a consequence. And we all have convictions, okay? They're not all godly. Because people who's not here today that typically come to church, some may be really good, legitimate reasons, but others we find easy not to come to the house of God a lot of times because we're convinced that it's a lot more um, 
comfortable for me to stay home. Or I'm convinced I don't have to go to be a part of the church, or I don't have to pray. You're convinced enough that I don't have to do that stuff because the consequences won't bother me. But when we create a godly conviction in our life, it creates a boundary that keeps us from sinning. And, and Sister Janet's talking about reading the Word of God, and she realized, well, we hear about the God of love all the time, but we don't always hear about the God that does get angry. And Jeremiah is a good, good book. It shows that. And it sees how God was angry at the children of Israel. And, and we, if, you read, if you read through Jeremiah, you see that fact that, wow, God was upset with them. And, and I'm thankful that we live in a dispensation that he is a God of love. But there is a coming time that he's not going to be a God of love. He's going to be our judge. And based on our convictions is how he will convict us. He becomes that God that judges us. And, and, if, and if we don't have the word hid in our heart, we do not have the ability to create godly convictions in our life. If I don't know what that says, if I don't know what this word says, then it's easy for me not to have a godly conviction in my heart. One of good examples, I, I've told this story, but it would apply here. These, these two preachers was doing a, a, an outside service, a tent meeting, and, and uh, that afterwards, uh, the policeman came and gave them a citation because they had been too loud in that area with their loudspeakers and stuff. And they went before the judge and stood before the judge. And the judge was like, well, I'm sorry. We have an ordinance in our area. And uh, you're not supposed to have loudspeakers in that area that you're at. And uh, one, of the, one of the preachers replied, but we did not know that that law was there. And the judge said this. And he said, ignorance of the law is no excuse. And the Bible is the law that should govern life. And we can't get there one of these days and tell God, oh God, I didn't know it said that. Because this book has been around longer than anything else that we know of around here. It was the first book that was ever translated. The Bible's first book was ever translated into English. It's uh, been the first book that was ever printed, ever it's been along longer than any other thing that's ever been around for us, uh, something that governs our life. And this Bible, inside of it, we have to learn it. We have to get godly convictions from it. And our convictions about God, about, about Jesus, it must be, it must come from his word and not our imagination. I can't just imagine, oh, this is what I think God says. No, but we need to figure out what God really says. I'm going to, pre I'm going to do my best to preach to you what the word says. But the, the bottom line source has to be that Bible. It has to be from there. We've got to frame every action, everything that we do, every choice. It needs to have God centered in the view of that. No matter what, what trial or adversity we may face, Jesus must come first in our life. And if we don't know what makes him happy, then we, we don't we can't create godly convictions. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is the hope of this world. And godly conviction will tell us that no matter what happens in our world, God still loves us, okay? He loves us no matter what. And the Bible gives us hope that's not rooted in this world. 
but it's rooted in letting us know that there is coming a world after this, a, an eternity in our life that that's what we should be living for. And, and in this world so much, it's like you live your life for yourself and don't worry about anything else. Well, that's, that's dangerous because in myself, I want to stay in bed today, okay? In my fleshly desire, it's cold, it's temperature's supposed to drop all day, we may seem to snow before this day is over, been random. I just want to stay inside today. I don't want to come. But a godly conviction said, no, you have a responsibility to you, a responsibility to the people that I serve in this church to go give them the word of God and, and, and try to help somebody make it to heaven. See, the convic convictions are rooted, uh, some people's convictions are rooted in this world and the things of this world. And the bad thing about that, this world does not give you hope. Let's be honest today. I mean, it doesn't matter which side of the fence you are on in the government, whether you're uh, independent, whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, it doesn't matter which party you are on right now. If you look at White House, you look at Washington, D.C., are they giving us any hope? I don't have no hope. Not through them. And whether your president you voted for is in there or not in there, it doesn't matter. There's no hope in this government. There's no hope in this world. But in this book, it lets me know that there's a world that's coming after this because this world is going to dissolve. It's going to melt. It's going to burn with fire. The Bible says it's going to be new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. All this is going to be passed away. But it lets me know that if I'm born again of the water and the spirit, I have a hope that's beyond this world. Something that's not rooted in this world. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, if I had hope in this world only, if I had, actually, let me fix it because I didn't say exactly right. He said, if I had hope in Christ in this world only, I'd be of all men most, most miserable. If the only hope that I have in Jesus that I'm looking for is him to make me feel better in this world, then you're going to be miserable. Because the real hope of Jesus is not rooted in this world. It's rooted in eternity. It's rooted in something that's more than this world. Because, honestly, the older I get, the more aches and pains I find in my body. Right? You're, you're the same way, I'm sure. Even the, the health, you can live as healthy as you want. You're going to die. Because that is a promise that we are going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before we die, folks, we're going to die. So in this world, I'll, this is what I've got to look forward to. My hair is going to turn more gray, and if not, don't, what don't going to turn gray is going to turn loose. Right? Yeah. I've been down to get something the other day at work and stood back up, and my former standing there said, it gets harder to do every day. My body's going to get harder, more, more tight, uh, more fragile. I remember seeing my, my grandparents and my, the, my older people in their life, and they hit their hands, and so easy, the skin would break, the older you get, the thinner your skin gets. We have no hope in this world, okay? But he's giving me hope that if I'm living for him, and I'm letting this Bible be my godly governor, and I have godly convictions in my heart based on this word, from Genesis to Revelation, 
He's given me a hope that Jesus came to bring mankind, mankind back into correct fellowship with God. And when we have a godly conviction that's based on this word, it does not matter what will happen to me in this world because I am not living for this world. I am living for heaven. My hope is in heaven. And if the only reason I ever want uh, to be a part of Jesus is to give me hope that things are going to get better in this life, then as Paul said, I'm going to be miserable because he doesn't always make everything in this life better. I mean, I pray that, that God heals bodies and things. But the, here's the stark reality. I know this in my life. I've, I've suffered plenty of loss at, at uh, 23 years old. My dad killed in a hunting accident by his dad. I know the reality that your dad can be taken out of your life early. I know the reality of the fact that... Um, you know, if nothing if nothing happens, I'm thinking I'm going to have a grandbaby here within the next week or two. Bethany seems to have that baby. She went to the doctor this week and last week and Wednesday weighed seven pounds and seven ounces. She's due to 19. I don't see her making it to 19, but even if she does, within three weeks, I'm going to be a granddad. But in reality, we was talking at the house yesterday, and Bethany made this statement. She said, I've never had a grandparent in my life that I could say like some of these, like if I could go sit and talk with anybody, I wouldn't be my grandparent. Well, she didn't have an opportunity to my dad because my dad, I was not even married, all right? So I know that in this life, you get disappointed. My mom, you guys know about mom, the last uh, six, seven years of her life, she had Alzheimer's, the last two years of my life, she didn't know who I was. So I know that this life doesn't turn out like you really want her, um, Cheryl's mom died last year, and they were never type to go out and do be real busy. They're not good to help and stuff. Brother Kenneth, he's not getting out and doing so. And I'm thinking, my mind, I want to be that grandparent to my kids, my uh, my grandkids who were like granddad's the best thing in the world. But the stark reality in this is people don't. So if that's just my hope, I may be disappointed. If that's just my children's hope, they may be disappointed. But my hope is not rooted in this world. It's rooted in eternity. And when our convictions of this life, which are things uh, we're convinced of, come from the word of God, we can get through anything in this world. And this word of God is the absolute final authority in this world. Right now, we may think the government and something else is the final authority, but it's not. The final authority is the Word of God. No matter what we think of a subject, what we what really matters about it is what the Word of God says about it. Why? Because the Word of God is true. It is absolute. It is true. Jesus said in John 17 and 17, he was praying for his disciples. He said, sanctify or set them apart. Set apart your disciples through thy truth. Thy word is truth. There is one sure absolute in this world, and it is the word of God. The word is truth. Jesus declared that the word of God was truth. 2 Timothy 3, 6 
16 through 17 says all scripture, that means the word in this book, all scripture are given by inspiration of God. They're profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. What he's saying here that uh, it's saying, it's talking about where the scripture's coming coming from. It says it comes inspired by God. There's multiple people who wrote different books throughout the Bible, but every one of them was inspired by God to write them books. And that includes the Old Testament. A lot of people just want to throw the Old Testament out. No, it's still it, it's still there for correction for us. Yes, there's ceremonial laws in the Old Testament that I'm thankful that we don't live by no more. Basically, you know, it's like um, if you got a son that's unruly, you just take him to the, the elders and they just take him out and stone him. We thankful we don't go by them kind of laws no more. There's dietary laws that they went by that, you know, you, you didn't eat basically catfish, you couldn't eat catfish. Well, all of a sudden, rednecks were in trouble, right? Shrimp, pork. Well, there are dietary laws that they're probably good to live by, but he done away with some of that stuff. But there's stuff back there that said it's an abomination to God. If it was ever an abomination, it's still an abomination. Plus, there's good godly examples of things in there that that so the old testament, it's not done away with. It's still very good to have example to live by. It says all scripture that the man of God may be perfect, furnished good works, that not just the man of God, anybody who teaches the word. And show someone else that this is a good way to live. This is what it's talking about. It's profitable for us. Not for this world, but for eternity. So we can help teach somebody else some godly convictions. In my opinion, this is why we are where we are in this world today. People quit sitting down with family and having Bible studies at home. If 2020 done anything, a lot of people establish Bible studies at home again. I know it damaged and destroyed a lot of things. I mean, we've seen it been hard on the church. And it's got a lot of people with some bad habits. They don't come to church no more. Thank goodness you're here today and you've been coming and that kind of stuff. But one thing I think 2020 done is it put everybody's mind frame back and said that we've got to get the word back in our lives. Because godly convictions is what's going to help you get to heaven. We need those desperately in our lives. And the source of that is the word of God. And when I, we, need, we need a man of God. We need a teacher. We need some people in our lives to help us understand the word of God. Why? To help develop godly convictions in our lives. Because godly convictions is what's going to keep us and get us to heaven. If godly convictions is, is what you put in your life, is that you determine what matters in your life. If you don't think living for God or serving God, praying, living uh, a righteous, holy life doesn't matter, that means we, doesn't have a, we don't have godly conviction. And God is the source of the word of God. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing that this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures with any private interpretation for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, inspired men. They wrote it down 
And I'm so thankful that it was kept for years and years and generations. And I'm thankful that somebody was able to put it together in a bound book that we can take it and read it and put it in our heart. And we must believe that our, we will not let the word create convictions in our life. Because a lot of people say, oh, that's just man-made. It's not just man-made. I have to believe, and I believe with everything within me, Mr. Stephanie, that this word that we have here, this Bible, is God-inspired. If I don't, then church won't matter. I have to believe that this is the final authority in life. Everything that you need to operate in your life is found inside this book. Every situation, every circumstance, you can find the answer in this book. And if we don't believe that the Bible is the word of God and the final authority, then we are, are going to struggle as a child of God because we will not put no trust and belief in that thing. Galatians 1, 6 through 9 says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you to the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you that that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And he, we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you that, that they to you then that you have received, let him be accursed. What he's saying that no matter if it's men, angels, or anything else, cannot replace this word. There's not a new interpretation. There's, there's an interpretation that this word is, it is what it says. We can't add to this word. We can't take away from it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 talks about, and you, verse 2, Deuteronomy 4 and 2, so you shall not add to the word, neither shall you diminish from it. You can't take from it. Revelations is the last book of the Bible, uh, the last chapter of the Bible. He says, look, you can't take away from it. You can't add to it because if you do, I'm going to add the plagues from this book to your life. Why we got so many plagues and things in our world? People's trying to take away from the word of God. And now then God's putting plagues in their life. I really believe this is one reason we have this plague in our world right now because so many people have tried to uh, take the word and twist it and make it what it isn't and, and not make it valuable in our lives. And God's put a plague on this entire world. I really believe that with all my heart. But we're instructed that we can't take away from it. We can't add to it. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I can say something to my own, own account being, and it might go away, but this word is still here. It's still uh, powerful. And, and Jesus said it's going to be here. Psalms 119, 89 before my opening text came from is another one of those about the word. He said, forever, O Lord, that word is settled in heaven. This thing's already settled in heaven. And, and this word is powerful. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, for the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing the son of the soul and the spirit, the joints of marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This Bible is so powerful that I have been reading it and as I'm reading, it's like, oh my goodness, I've been doing this and I shouldn't be doing this. I've been reading and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I should have been doing this and it's let me know that I should and I've not been doing it. it. 
It cuts and it goes and comes. It's so powerful. Many people think I, you know, I just don't like the word. I, I just can't, can't get into reading. That was me so many years ago. I didn't like reading, didn't want to read, no part. I didn't have time for that. I'm thankful that God put a desire in my heart to read the word of God. And then, and, and then I have read it so many times and continue to read it. And, and we can put this in our heart. And nowadays, if you have a smartphone, we don't even have an excuse. You don't even, I, it's better if you read it. But if you're not a good reader and you can't get into it, technology has come to the place now that if you have a smartphone or even a CD player at home, you can play the word and hear it in your ears. But I'll talk about that a little more in just a moment. I'm not going to be too much longer here. But when we read the word, it causes us to get to know Jesus. People say, I don't know who Jesus is. Well, if you'll read the word, you'll get to know who Jesus is. John 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. What's he saying here? The beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. It's saying that God is the Word. Right? And this world was made by God's Word. This Word that we have is just basically God spoke it and somebody wrote it down. So he's saying everything about me in this book. This is his life story. This is what he's all about. And the beautiful thing is that his word that created heaven is him. So if you say, I don't like the word, or I don't like to read the word, in essence, you're saying, I don't like God. And that's a scary thing. And the word, or God, was made flesh. Verse 14 of John 1 says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, we know that that Word that was made flesh is Jesus. Jesus is this Word. Jesus is the Word of God that was made flesh. And to fall in love with Jesus, we have to fall in love with the Word of God because this is all about him. This is how we know who he is. The Spirit it may speak to us, but if it does, it's based on what this word says. And when we do read this word, we fall in love with this word, it creates convictions. It creates those boundaries in our life that will govern our life. From Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, to Revelation, the word of God is all about Jesus coming to this earth to redeem his people from falling from their fallen ways. That's what the entire Bible is about. It's showing us how to do that. And that's why David wrote in my opening text, I word if I hid in my heart, because I don't want to sin against you. Because when we sin, it separates us from God. It separates us from God. And he knew that this word was God. And he knew that this word, when you hide it in your heart, it creates these convictions in our life. It will keep my relationship with Jesus right where it needs to be. To keep us close to God. And we can't just read the word, though. Because I, I've been here many times, okay? I've read through the Bible multiple times, 20 times. And there's been times I've actually read, and I get down the chapter, I'm like, what did I just read? <laughs> I'm sure you've been there, whether it's a book or whatever. 
What did I have to go out? I have to go back and read again. So you can read and think about something else. You can read it just to, I mean, we have our break charts here. We're planning to read through the Bible. I know you guys have got it. You're using your Bible app, whatever. So we can just read to mark it off the list. It's got to be more than just marking the list. It's got to get in the heart. James, which is the half-brother to Jesus, um, had the same mother, but not the same father. Jesus said, we're for, James 1, 21 through 25, so we're for lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive the meekness, with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. He said, look, this word can save your soul. There's that hope I'm talking about. Save our souls what? From what? From this fallen humanity. Save us from this world destroying us and give us hope and eternal life. But he goes on to say, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. How many times have I stood in this pulpit preaching to people out here a particular subject that God laid on my heart and that very week somebody goes and does something that I preached to give them a verbal warning from the word of God. God was using me to speak to them. Not in me, even other preachers. I've seen other preachers stand here and that very week somebody would just, they would hear the word but walk back out out of these doors, into this world, and no godly conviction in their life, go do right the opposite of what was instructed to them to help them and find themselves in jail, and wreck, uh, a divorce, losing a job, or whatever may be the case. We can't just be hearers of the word. But he said, be doers. He said, he, uh, the person who is not a doer is like that person who man beholding his natural face in the glass. This glass he's talking about is a mirror. He behold himself, goeth his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, which is talking about the word, and continue therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So, you know, it's like us going looking in the mirror. This is how the word is. If we're reading it, doesn't pay attention to it, or we hear somebody preach it, don't pay attention to it. We go look at a mirror. And we see that smudge of grease. We see that lettuce still in your teeth from supper. And we just walk away and don't do nothing about it. We, we see it. We recognize that there's a problem, but we walk away and we don't do nothing about it. That if we get a godly conviction, though, the word is like we see it and then we realize, oh, wow, I need to fix that. When we look at the word of God, it becomes that mirror lies to help us adjust our lives to be aligned with his word. And that's what godly convictions are. And we have a choice to be a hearer or a doer. We can hear the word and do it or remain, or we can remain the same. We can remain the same. And if we remain the same, we are more convinced uh, that something else is more important to govern our lives than what the word of God says. It, it, it's a conviction. It's just a conviction in something else that's not rooted in the word of God. We all have convictions, okay? And we must see and be able to change. We've got to be that doer. Psalms 119, again, there's a 119, 105, says, that word's a lamp to my feet, a light in my path. It gives me light to direct my path. In this dark world that we're living in right now, now when we don't know what's right or what's wrong, this becomes a light that says, oh, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. It shows me what's right and what's wrong. This is why the word, it has to, it has to be a guide to help guide us through this 
crazy dark time that we're living in. Job, Job said it well, Job 23 and 12. He said, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He said, look, his word is more important to me than me to be able to eat it. And see, this Bible, it has to be, a, it's got to be a daily subscription. Not a weekly, not a monthly, not a, it's got to be a daily. Daily, we got to put this thing in our life. Yeah, if you're going outside, I would hope that everybody looks in the mirror. It's a daily thing that we do, okay? That's the same thing where God is. If you, if you go outside every day, most everybody looks in the mirror because they want to make a shift themselves. This is what the word of God's got to become. And, you know, we, we daily, a lot of us, we daily look at Facebook, daily look at your social media, daily watch the news, read your paper, your Western, your romance, whatever it may be, you know, but never even take the word of God. And so then things become more to govern our lives. And, and I, I've been away, I've got off of Facebook the last week or so. It's been a lot better week, you know, because a lot of times, how many you know, you know, uh, you'll turn to Facebook and you'll read somebody's post and you're mad for the rest of the day. It's governed your life for that day. Or you get a text message or you get a phone call and that governs your life for the rest of the day, right? But the first thing we do in our life is put the word of God in it. It gives us hope. It, it overrides these other things. If this stuff comes and hits us like, okay, yeah, that bothers me, but I know the end of it. It's going to be okay because I'm going to make heaven home. And if we'll get this word in us, it'll change everything. We, we can listen to it. Uh, I decided last year I was going to read through the Bible twice, and I did. It was tough, but I'd done it. This year I decided, well, I'm going to read the Bible in my morning devotion, and then in the afternoons I'm going to take a chapter, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to write it down. I'm not done that every day. I've struggled with that. So, but I decided I, I'm also going to listen to it this year. So at work, I opportunity, I put earbuds in and listen to it, so I, uh, some people would ask me, are you not going to do it on the on the phone too? So I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and invite people to do it on the phone, and, and some of them may be reading and stuff, but I'll listen to that part of it in my ear. And then Sister Stephanie sends me an invitation to, for, to a, a six-month Bible reading plan. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm getting a whole lot going on here. So I said, you know what? I'll listen to that one too. So now then, for sure, my work days, I get up in the morning, I read about 15 minutes to my David Bible reading. It's going to get me through the Bible a year. And I'll listen to the one that I started, which is general two, two to three chapters a day. I'll listen to it with the King James Version. And then the one that Stephanie has invited me to, I'm listening to it, which is probably more about 30 minutes worth of Bible reading to me. I'm listening to it in the Living Bible Translation. So every day I'm, I'm reading about 15 minutes, listen to one version about 15 minutes, and listen to another, another one for about 30. So I'm getting about an hour's worth every day in my life. I'm going to tell you, it's making a difference in my world. Because Jesus, he's the ultimate example of how important the Word of God is in my life. Matthew 4, I won't read it. You can write it down 4 through 11. And uh, so I'm going to bring this close. Jesus went to the wilderness. The devil tempted him three different times. And each time he was tempted, Jesus replied to him, it is written. He attacked the devil back with the word of God. This is our, one of our greatest forms of attack against the enemy is the word of God. And we have to somehow 
get this in our life. Uh, John 8, 31, that brings us to close. Jesus said, those, to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue my word, then you are my disciples indeed. This simply just means if we continue in his word, his word becomes our governor of our lives to be a disciple of Jesus. And that should be our ultimate goal in our life, is to be a real disciple, to be like Jesus. A disciple is just simply a follower. We become a follower of Jesus, to be like Jesus. Is a song that's sung sometimes, is to be like Jesus. That should be our goal. And Jesus came to this world to be a servant to this world, to save this world. When we become a disciple like Jesus, we're not satisfied that I'm going to make heaven, but I've got to help somebody else to make it to heaven. The word will change our lives. And how, how did it change us? Let me tell you how to change it. By judging our lives, and then when God judges our lives, uh, and when he judges our life, we're going to adjust our life to line up to the word of God. And I know used to years ago, the the most quoted and famous verse in the Bible is John 3 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Now then the favorite verse of the entire world is Matthew 7 1. Don't judge me. Because that's what that Bible verse says in John 7 1. Judge not. That's the only part they want to say is the rest of that verse says, judge not lest you be judged by the same judgment. And in essence, that means is look, if I'm going to judge you, I got to be careful because that same judgment may come back on you. So, and we've all seen it, right? Uh, somebody say, well, judge them for whatever. And the next thing you know, that same thing happens to your life. It's not telling you not to judge, but it says, judge not, unless you're going to be judged by the same judgment. Then the, the rest of Matthew chapter seven here tells you seven different ways to judge someone. And the judgment is talked about is all based on the word of God. If somebody uh, is, you're going to judge somebody, don't do it from yourself, but make sure that you're telling them, look, the Bible says this. That way you're not judging them. It's coming from the word of God. So if they, if they reject it, it's rejecting the word and not you. And here's the thing. I'm going to go a step farther with it. I've said this, but I'm going to say it again today. But Eddie, if you will take this word and judge me, I want you to do that. Because if you will judge me by the word, I have a chance to get my life adjusted. Because one of these days, this word is so important. The Bible says that, um, I have it written down. Let's get a couple things. It's in Revelation 20 and verse 12. I saw the dead, small, and great stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was open, which is the book of life. The books that's open is this book right here. It's the word of God. And it said the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the works. So God is going to take this book, this Bible, and open it up. And he's going to judge our life based on how we've lived it compared to this book. And if my life doesn't line up and living right according to this book, then he's going to judge me. And if I haven't, he's going to throw me into eternal hell. And if I live my life the best I could to it, then I will spend life eternity in heaven. So, Brother David, if you see me doing something wrong, pull that book out and say, Brother Daniel, the Bible says this, and you're not doing that. Amen. It may hurt my feelings, but if you judge me, I have a chance to get it right. Amen. 
because when he finally judges me from that, it's over. And I'd rather you judge me and condemn me than him judge me and condemn me. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that it will put godly convictions in our heart, God. It would govern our lives, Lord, and change our world, Lord.